Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine and More. Cheers! Hello and welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen coming to you on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I'm Elaine Buckley. And I'm Emily Glenn. On this episode, we're going to be meeting one of the true talents of Ireland's women's soccer team, who has shown bright for college, club and country alike. But before we do that, just a quick reminder of where you can find us. Check out headstuff.org for a full archive of episodes. And Fair Game is also available to subscribe to on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. If you enjoy the podcast, then do us a favour and rate and review it on your app of choice that's not just something people who present podcasts say it's actually a really practical way to support the show and help sports fans just like you find out about us sharing episodes on the likes of twitter facebook and in whatsapp groups also goes a long way so send it to your friends family and clubmates if you think they might enjoy the show and follow us on twitter too at fair game cast to stay up to speed on everything happening in women's sports on and off the field at home and abroad before we begin, there's some big news in Fair Game HQ. Kinvara Skincare have teamed up with us to sponsor this episode. The Kinvara crew make amazing plant power products, 100% natural and straight out of the west coast of Ireland. So when you come in from a hard day's training session and you're after some products to be kind to your skin, look no further. Kinvara Skincare lotions and potions are jam-packed with ingredients such as antioxidants and anti-inflammatories that are as active as you are. We're no experts in skincare, but the fab products they've sent us are being well used and we look at least 10 years younger. As well as looking after our fair game faces, Canvara Skincare are also looking after our listeners too. Head to their online store at canvaraskincare.com and there's a 10% discount just for you. Simply enter the offer code FAIRGAME, all one word, at the checkout. Go on, treat yourself. So, for the week that's in it, with Ireland entering the next phase of their quest for World Cup qualification, it's high time to talk all things soccer. The women's game has been the cause of much scrutiny since the national team went on strike one year ago. But our guest today has been in the thick of things in the Green Gansey since she was a teenager. From honing her skills in the football fields of lovely louds to becoming a soccer star in the sunshine state of Florida to making the move to one of the most renowned footballing cities in the world. This woman has got some serious stories to share and we are delighted to welcome Ireland and Manchester City's Megan Campbell to the Fair Game Hot Seat. Megan, you're very welcome along. Thanks for having me. So Megan, what we like to do in the show is kind of take our guests back to the very, very beginning. So take us back to growing up in, in Drogheda. What's your earliest memory of playing football? Um, I remember my dad taking me to a pitch where I had no idea where I was going um, and he was like oh I was playing as a kid playing football um, out the back and out the front with my, with my dad and my siblings obviously and friends and cousins and he, he sort of seen that I had a knack for it and I liked it and I wanted to do it every day um, so he took me down to a field where a Grove Rangers were playing at the time um, and it was a boys team because unfortunately back then when I was a kid there was no girls teams at that age. So I had to join a boys team um, and I played with them for a good few years. Just like, he remembers distinctly, he'll be 
quite biased towards it, but I don't like to talk about it. But he says that um, as a kid, I used to just get the ball and run and shoot from anywhere and do whatever needed to be. And he, he obviously loves watching me from the sidelines. But from there, I think I just, through his love of the game, and then I grew from that. And um, yeah, I just really enjoyed playing. And after then the love of the game grew, I kept going up and playing with boys all the way to under 14s and then switched to a girls team. And yeah, just grew from there. Were you the only girl in that team, just out of interest? I was, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you were a brazen girl back in the day, shooting from anywhere on the pitch. But you got called up to play at national level at quite a young age, starting in the under-17 squad. Do you remember the excitement of getting your hands on the green jersey for the first time? Yeah, definitely. It was something that, obviously, as a kid, you want to play for your country. Everyone does. And to be offered that opportunity to play for the national team was something that I was just going to relish. And uh, obviously make the most of and obviously doing it for your family and for where you're from and Drogheda and um, your friends and everyone in school and stuff like that so it was, uh, it was really good a opportunity and experience for me. And that under 17 squad that you were part of Megan like you tasted kind of some pretty serious success like at a very young age like quarter finalists in, in, the, in the under 17's World Cup and runners up in the European Championships so how, how did that those kind of experiences I suppose, were they formative in your footballing ambitions kind of as you, as, you, as you got even older then? Yeah, definitely. I think you tasted a bit of success and, and I wanted more and I wanted more after that. And um, obviously when you got to the European semi-final and playing against Germany, who had won it the previous two years and we knew we were going up against a tough team and we just had to work hard. And I know our passion and like as an Irish team, any Irish team and what, a, what sport you play in when you're wearing the green jersey, um, everyone wants to give it everything they have and, Ireland are known for that drive and you know determination and will um, as such so when we got the result against Germany it was um, obviously delightful and going into the final then against Spain which he was another top opponent uh, we knew it was never going to be easy and unfortunately we missed out on penalties but those opportunities I think you grow as both a player and a person so you're obviously away from home you're on loads of different trips and then to go to Trinidad and Tobago for a World Cup you're even further away from home as a kid and um yeah, I think you definitely grow as a as a player, but mostly as a person because you're away from family, you're with people, experiencing new cultures. We were away for four weeks, so you know it, it's quite daunting as such, but um, also exciting. Now, your first senior international cap came in 2011 on a fine day in Richmond Park against Switzerland. Did that pass in a bit of a blurry haze to you, or does it stand out? Do you remember the day? Um, I do. Yeah. I, I was named on the on the bench and I was delighted to just be involved and then I think it was around the 60th 65th minute I got subbed on for Louise Quinn and into centre back and I don't recall the game or the score and stuff but to I remember the cheer coming onto the pitch because the girls obviously I was playing with at um, Rohini and they were all in the crowd and stuff um, thinking I was going to get on so when I did it was obviously quite an exciting moment and my family were all there so it was a very proud moment for them too but yeah just bit surreal and trying to take the moment in but also focus on the game so it was a bit um, all over the place but yeah I definitely remember it. And your footballing talents Megan attracted attention stateside so tell us how does a young woman from Loud wind up playing college ball in Florida? Um, well there's a, a long story behind it so I got offered to go to Connecticut over in the state um, when I had just graduated from school so I was at the time I was 16 just turned 17 just turning 17 I think and um, for me I think I was too young and a bit too immature to go stateside to then 
play football there and be away from my family for such a long time and um, so I decided against it and luckily through the FAI I then got a scholarship to go to Car- IT Carlo and I took part in their sport and exercise course for two years and during my second year I had started to speak to Mark Ricori and the FSU manager who I ended up being at their college and he was just showing his interest in me as a player and um, asking me for clips and stuff and obviously when you're playing with the national team it gives you that level of um, I don't know what you would say like people are seeing that you can play and stuff and when we obviously made it to the European finals and to the World Cup it helped my profile then to grow um, and so when he seen that then he offered me to come over and have a look at the college and so in the April I went and had a look and it was just something that I couldn't turn down and you know even if I was saying it to dad and to a few of the girls who regret not going to the States um, at least if I go there and I don't like it I can come back home and you know at least say I've done it whereas if I didn't do it I'd always regret it and so yeah I never looked back when I went over that June. We've heard glowing tales from other athletes in other sports you've made the switch to the States for college what was the standard of the facilities like that you had over there under Title IX? Oh phenomenal Um, something that really opened my eyes to the amount of money and investment that they put into their sports over in the States like every sport was it wasn't just football and I know football is a main sport over there for the men's around the like the colleges basically are funded through the football team but like every every sport at the college I was at at least and then the ones you travel to um it was just incredible to see like 40,000 students were at my college and like that's the size of Drotter where I lived and so like you're going from where you live to then a college which is the size of you and Tallahassee was basically run by that college so in the summer when the college was closed or there was minimal students there for summer um, school like the town was just dead like it's mad to see but yeah it was huge and the facilities like that everything that was at your disposal was just incredible. And in, in a town like Tallahassee, where uh, I suppose the college is the, is the focal point, there's there's a culture of, I suppose, huge interest in, in college sports teams from the locals around and from local media as well. Was that side of it, you know, having big crowds at your games and like being covered by both the college and external media, was that sort of a culture shock to you at that time? Yeah, definitely. Going over there is, I think is 18, nearly 19. And you're you're exposed to all those things, like you said, and it's something that you're trying to take everything in but then play at the same time and the way their schedule worked it was like so hectic where you have two games a week and then you've 2,000 to 4,000 people coming to your games and you've gone from nobody pretty much to then having loads of people come to your games and I think it, it put a little bit of added pressure on because you're not only performing for yourself in the college but you're performing for the community as such um, but then you take advantage of it and you use that. You were part of the squad that won the NCAA Division One Women's Soccer Championships in 2014. It's the first and only time in Florida State Seminoles history. Tell us about that experience. Tell us about the team and the games. Tell us the whole, the whole scale. Um, well, in my first year in 2013, we were unlucky to lose out to UCLA in overtime. As such, well, what they call it over there, overtime. So if you score in extra time, as we would call it here, the game's over once the goal goes in. And I think it happened right inside the start of extra time and so it was quite tough to take but two only two girls had graduated that year so as a, as two seniors left it left still a huge class to have have that bond and have that gel together on the pitch and we went into the next season um with a lot of fam- familiar faces but then a few freshmen um and yeah it was just a season to remember obviously like you I'm never going to forget it. It was. It started where 
you're playing in like they call it out of season games so you're playing pre-season friendlies basically um to get your rankings and stuff up um and then we went into the ACC and played really well and we won the regular season that year so basically you win every game you win the regular season and then you go to an ACC finals tournament so the top four teams in your league then go to win the trophy of the title for the league um it's quite confusing and then from there you enter into a bracket of the top 64 teams um in the whole of the USA and game by game it gets narrowed down it's kind of like the Champions League as such here um except just in the whole of the US and from there then it went from 64 to 32 down to and it continued to go down and down where we made it to the final four again and obviously having those experiences of losing in a in a final of a national final then to carry those through and have so many players experience that and to know what it's like to lose you don't want to feel like that again and um, I think that worked to our benefit and yeah we went into the final and just it was unbelievable. Even when you're when you're talking there, Megan, about the teams you were playing, say UCLA, it's obviously a good bit of travel involved in playing soccer at that level in college. So, like, say as you're progressing kind of beyond your state international competition, what's the balance like between college and and football? Like, are you essentially training like a professional athlete at that level? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we play Thursday, Sunday, so it's quite a heavy schedule, and it only runs from August to December, and then your season's over. Um, so it's quite hectic, but even within our league, it's not just within the state. So we were flying, like we were lucky enough to charter fly. So we were charter flying flying to to games twice a week sometimes, or we'd fly to one place and stay for the whole weekend. And it was tough on the studies because you have to keep your grades up in order to play, but then you're traveling a lot and you're losing out on class time as such. And so we're doing um, studies while we're away. And I know Meg Connolly, who's now still in the national team with us, is still going through that situation that I did where she's gone through it for four years now. So she's in with the national team at the minute and she's having to balance her studies. And so it's even harder than when you're with national team as well. Um, but yeah, at the time it's it's not easy to, to balance, but you have to manage it somehow. And at the end of your degree in social science in Florida State, um, you opted not to go forward for the NWSL draft. What prompted that decision? Um, I think I had spent two and a half years away from home and through personal reasons, I just wanted to come home and be closer to family and friends and stuff. And um, yeah, just I had spent so much time away and my family weren't unfortunately able to come over and watch me play in the States because it was quite expensive at the time for families to fly over just to watch a game of football. Um so they never got to experience it and my dad regretted to this day not going to the national final um which was quite unfortunate but uh yeah I think for me it was just time to go back home and be closer to family and allow them to be able to travel a shorter distance to be able to watch me play and I've always wanted to play in Europe anyway so um yeah it was something that I wanted to do first and then also I think in like personally I think if you enter into the draft I didn't like the whole system of you're not really in control of where you're going as such. So when a team picks you, they have your rights to you as a player and as a person. And so if they don't want you to play for them or they don't end up putting you in their squad, then you could just get traded to a different team and you don't know about it until like weeks before. And so you've like settled in a in a state and then you're going to the other side of the country. And it might be a bit exaggerated, like don't get me wrong, but in my mind as a kid, that's why I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to be close to home and have like a stable, like, 
like a job where you know where you're going to be at least for that contract term. Um, I actually wasn't aware of the extent of that feature in the, in the NWSL until recently when, when Kristen Press was just traded mm-hmm. to Houston. Yeah. I think it was for Carly Lloyd actually and then didn't have a say in it. I didn't realise that it was that kind of, that that was kind of the, the, the nature of the contract. It just seems absolutely crazy and then all of a sudden she's just, I'm not doing it. I'm moving to Sweden and I'm dropped from the national team. It's it's pretty kind of big overbearing presence on the league. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a a big decision as to why I think many internationals don't stay if they're at college over there and they will come back home. But um, yeah, for me, it was just something that I didn't want them to have the decision in where I was to play. Like I would like to choose where I want to play as such. If the team obviously offers it to me, then I have the choice whether to say yes or no. Um, but yeah, it was just something that I didn't find interesting. But it doesn't mean that I won't, won't go back. Like it's definitely something that I'm always open to going back to the States. But if you play across the water for over a year, then if a club picks you, you're not tied, like you get a set contract, I think as such. So it would be a, a lot more settled. Well, it's not like the decision didn't work out for you because in 2016, one of the biggest clubs in um, Europe and in the world wanted you to sign on the dotted line. Manchester City came calling. Tell us about that call. Yeah, um, I obviously come home at Christmas and just graduated from college in the States and in January, I was like, where am I going to go play? And it was quite a stressful situation and time for me and my family and just not knowing where to go. And and um, I was trying to send my video clips as that Florida State had made of me playing in my three seasons there out to different clubs to be able to, you know, see if anyone wanted to at least take me over on trial or whatever. And um, City came knocking and asked me if I'd go over and train with them for a week. And so when I arrived there, obviously they had facilities like they did at Florida State and I was just in awe because you didn't think you'd I didn't think I'd ever see it again um but not just for soccer like in the states it's like every sport in the college whereas this one was folk uh like focused on soccer alone and so it was just incredible to see um and then I trained with the girls for the week and I think I left he said it was up like he wanted to see if I would gel with the team and stuff like that and um then he said to me all right, we'll be in touch. And so I went home on the Sunday and on the Wednesday I flew back to Manchester and flew to Abu Dhabi the next day for pre-season and I signed on the dotted line over there. So it wasn't a, a bad time to come into the team at all. <laughs> and your your club mates at that time of signing, were, well, they still are essentially a who's who of the top players in the world. So what was it, how did you gel? Like, what was it like going into that dressing room? Um, it was a bit surreal and I was a bit in awe of obviously a lot of the players because players you watch on the TV and obviously England being the national team that they are they're quite high profile and you know they're well known and they do well in tournaments and so to be able to train and play alongside some of them players I was just like mesmerized like, I couldn't believe it um I suppose especially post 2015 World Cup and what, yeah. what they did there like the likes of Steph Houghton and yeah. Lucy Bronze and them it's it's a uh, some lineup yeah it was definitely incredible to just even go over and be asked to be a part of that and then when he asked me to stay I just couldn't believe it and you know it took some time to get used to it your culture change obviously again and getting used to playing alongside different players and training alongside different players but it definitely helped me grow as a a player um, because you're playing and training with the best players so you you can't not improve Um, so yeah Manchester City are also the vanguards of gender equality in club football. They showcase their women's team in a way that no other club has really done, not least through the same game, same club, same Man City campaign. 
As a player, you've spoken about the level of resource that you kind of witnessed and accessed when you first joined. But what does it mean, um, that kind of commitment to uh, to equality and fairness? Uh, I think it's great to see the amount of like investment that they have put into the women's team and they treat it as equally as they do the men's. And now with the same city, same passion um, that they've just started up where we're now being showcased on the men's and the main social media. I think it's it's a great step forward for women's football and um, it's only going in the right direction, um, especially in England. And you can see since, like you said, the World Cup and unfortunately in the European, they didn't do it quite as well. But even through those tournaments like the profile of the game in England is growing and growing and more international players are wanting to come and play in, in England and yeah I think as, from City's point of view I think it's incredible to be part of that because in 2014 they were established and they went from nothing to now something and you know other teams are coming up against them and, and not wanting to play them as such because everyone's out for them because we won the treble last year and it's just great to like have those facilities at your disposal and to take the advantage of them um you know and yeah it's incredible you could be having some cross city derby battles quite soon as well what do you make of, of the recent news about manchester united applying for um, a license i think it, it's good i think it's long overdue um they're a good club well they're not a good club they're a great club with a an unbelievable history behind them and so to have a women's team there it's obviously only going to grow the women's game even more in that country and all around the world because they're one of the most like biggest franchises in in football around the world so it's only going to help the game you signed with man city in 2016 and after only a short time in the blue jersey you suffered some serious injury that required surgery and then sidelined you for much of the 2016 2017 season talk us through what happened um i signed february 16th and in March, I was away with the national team and unfortunately rolled my ankle and tore my ligaments in my right ankle grade two, which is you go grade one, grade two, grade three. And if it's grade three and plus, then it, it requires surgery. But thankfully, it was only grade two. At, so it took two months, I think, to come back from recovery. But during that rehab, I then tore my quad while I started kicking the ball again. So it, it pushed me back another month. And ended up coming to June where the international break was on or there was a break in the season, if I remember correctly. Um, so then it gave me that time to get myself fit and stuff again. And in July, I came back. Um, I think I played Aston Villa in the County Cup and I was just buzzing to be back on the ball and back on the grass again and to finally be wearing the Man City jersey and playing playing for the club. And then unfortunately, the start of August, uh, we were on the day of the game doing set pieces on an Astro down in Reading and I've rolled my ankle quite badly in the warm-up and that required surgery. So I was after going from coming back to then needing surgery again. And um, yeah, I had, I had ankle reconstruction mid-August, I think, and it took me the guts of eight months to come back to full fitness. Um, yeah. And in coming back to, to full fitness now, Megan, we are absolute suckers for a good sporting comeback <laughs> story and they don't come much better than your return in time for, for, for last year's FA Cup final. Um, really triumphant return to the game. Tell us about the moment that Nick Cushing named you in that starting lineup on that day. Um, I've said the story many times, but I'll never ever forget the day where Saturday come and we're doing the set pieces, and or he names the team so that you can do the set pieces before you travel down to London on the bus. Um, and he's just gone right. I'm going to name the team and stuff after the warm up, and he's gone through the team. So he started with Karen, and then he's gone from Lucy to Steph, and he said my name and. I honestly do not recall the rest of the team being named because I was just like in shock. Like for me, it was in, like 
I had phoned dad the night before and the day of the morning of and I was just like dad I just want to be in the squad I just want to be involved again to have that experience and stuff whether it's on the bench or not um and then when I got named in the starting 11 I think yeah it was like the most surreal moment ever I didn't I couldn't like process it in my head that I had just been picked to start in Wembley on Sunday in an FA Cup final which is obviously the biggest stage you can play on and yeah it was just I could not believe it but as soon as the set pieces and stuff are done I've gone straight into the phone I'm like dad you can't won't believe it won't believe it. and he was like what, what and I was like dad I'm starting left but uh, sent left side center back and he was like you're kidding and so then he booked the flights and he was straight over and um my uncle was there as well and my cousin so yeah it was it was a great day recalling watching it on tv uh we were beaming with irish pride as the bbc commentators were lavishing on the praise the praise um goal scorers get all of the credit on the day but you put in some fancy footwork for two crucial assists uh how did that feel um it's always nice to help your team win (laughs) win a trophy um i'll help in any way i can whether it be a free kick throw in um, any sort of set piece or just play in general but to be involved that directly was yeah, a great feeling for me to have Nick and the other staff put their faith and trust in me to take set pieces um, was something that I was quite proud of and you got you got to take advantage of it and do it for the team and I was able to produce on the day which I was very grateful for. It's not bad when you've got Carly Lloyd connecting <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> yeah any day. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good target to be aiming for. And um, you mentioned set pieces there, Megan, and we we saw the power of it in full flight that day. But talk to us a bit more about your throw-in technique. When and how did you realise that that was, I suppose, your specialty? Like, was it a coach that identified it? Or were, did you just know, I'm really good at this, this is going to be my thing? Yeah, I think it was just me. I was playing with boys, as I said, back in Drogheda, and I'd gone to Boyne Rovers and started playing with the lads. I think it was like under 14, um, that around that age, and... I threw the ball in and it was just longer than the average person's and they was like just do it again like Megan take the next throw and so just as I grew it got longer and um I've never had any like training or I've never done anything to it for it to progress and to get longer like I've just been thankful enough to have it in my in my locker it's just something that I've always had and so when you're kind of doing your gym work there's nothing specifically that you work on for the throw it no nothing at all it's just a natural a natural thing that's happened I guess I they say I'm hypermobile so it probably has a big like effect in it with my back being stretchy as such and my arms and my legs but uh I love that description of yourself as you've gotten older and you've gotten longer and lankier your yeah. throw has gotten better just because yeah. you've got longer arms now um and sorry to lower the tone again but since you made a blistering start to women's uh with the Ireland's Women's World Cup qualifying campaign, you returned to club league action last November. And then again, another dreaded injury. You were struck down with a dreaded cruciate ligament injury in Champions League action with City. You're well over the surgery at this stage. Um, yeah, How I was four months going? post-op yesterday. So not that I'm counting at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I've still got a long way to go, but I'm at the right club and I've got the right facilities and the right people and staff and players behind me to push me back and get me back fit as quick as possible um it's always obviously frustrating when you get an injury and to have two serious injuries in the space of two years playing for your first professional club it's never nice and you know it's it's always quite frustrating and stressful situation and 
um but i'm at the best best place and i'm just gonna keep my head down and work hard to try and get myself back fit as quick as i can good stuff and as well like besides the physical side of injury it, it can also take a huge mental toll we actually did a whole full episode on on it before um how have you been kind of keeping it together in in that regard um i think mentally it's a lot tougher than maybe people see from the outside in because uh, you just smile and you get on with it but when you're when you're behind closed doors it's quite tough to have to deal with um i think this injury too over the other one is a lot harder because with the ankle i was able to you know if i progressed i would i could get back sooner and stuff there was no strict timeline on it and um, once the surgery and everything had healed within my ankle whereas with an acl you have to wait the nine months as such and to give it that best chance of never happening again touch wood that it never happens again but um yeah anyone who's gone through an acl injury like i finally understand what it's what it's like it's actually quite tough mentally to to have to deal with it and it's not only like within rehab and stuff because rehab can be quite monotonous as such like you're doing the same things over and over for such a long time to try and build that baseline of strength and then you have to go from that into building muscle to then be stable enough for when you run so that you don't pick up niggles or you, it doesn't reoccur um so I'm at that stage where I'm building muscle right now and hopefully I'll be running in the next few weeks. There's no, I'm not putting a strict timeline on it because luckily, if if that's even a way you can say it in an injury, but luckily enough, I'm, I'll be coming back when the season's over. So I've no pressure on me as such to get back fit for anything in, spe- like in specific terms. So um, yeah, I'm just going to make sure I do it right and it never happens again, but... My aim is to be back and my goal is to be back for the last qualifiers with the Irish team to play against Northern Ireland to hopefully qualify for France. So we, We'll get to that a bit later, but you are still with the Irish team and they've had a really strong start to the World Cup qualifying campaign with Colin Bell leading the charge. So what effect has he had on the team since coming on board? I think his experience, for one, has just been incredible to have a manager in who's gone through and won the Champions League with a women's team to having that ex- like exposure at club level to now bringing it to national team level and he kn- he knows players inside out and teams inside out and you know he he'll rattle players names off to how you say it in their country and it's just mad like his his culture and his experience of being in different countries managing um is obviously great to have his experience with the team and to give young players and even players like myself and older players that I guess knowledge that he has and feed the knowledge as much as he can and it's been great to have him in he's such a positive influence on everyone and he has that motivation and the drive to go no we can like we can succeed and we can qualify I think back in like in the past as sometimes it's been or we were quite unlucky there or there's positives to take from like the games even if we lose them whereas now we have that mentality of no we're good enough to qualify and we are going to qualify um, and we're going to be in France and not we're not going to be there as fans. We're going to be there as, you know, as a team on the, like playing on the grass. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's instilled that mentality within the team and everyone's just thriving off it. Well, there have been some superb results so far, um, including a, a cracker of a strike from your good self to seal the points away to, to Northern Ireland. We won't forget that one anytime soon. But we have to talk about the away trip to face European champions, the Netherlands. Where did you watch it? And as a defender... <laughs> Did you have any fingernails left oh by the end of it? <laughs> I was sat on a bed with my leg propped up on a load of cushions um, with a bandage around it, um, 
just sitting and I had it on a small tablet in my, in my room and I was so nervous. I had no nails left. I was sh shaking and screaming at the thing. I'd say if anyone was in the room next to me, because I was staying at the Academy Stadium. Um, so if anyone was in the room next to me, I, <laughs> they were probably like, what is going on in there? Um, but I was screaming and like, like everything. But the girls done so well, you know, they put, literally they put their bodies on the line and um, we were really, th well, I was really thankful that they came away with the point. And you could see that kind of mentality you just talked about that, that Colin has instilled in the squad, like whereby they literally had last year's World Player of the Year, Lika Mertens, running at them, the back four, and they just kept them out. Like, no matter what they threw at them, it was like, nope, you're not scoring against us today. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone on the pitch and off the pitch and staff included worked so hard for that game. And we, like, drilled everything into it what we needed to do to succeed and I know the girls like had a lot of film and stuff that camp and just making sure everything was right and like what so when we went into the game the team knew exactly what they had to do to to get a result off the European champions and yeah it was incredible that day the performance that they put on was second to none and I know some people might look at it and go oh well you just sat back and you didn't do nothing and you know but in five to ten years time when people are looking at results they don't remember the games and how they came about they just see Republic of Ireland took a point off the Netherlands who had previously just won the European Championship so you know it's a, it's obviously a great feat for us and for us going forward as, as well to know that we can do that. You're talking about uh, Colin Bell's kind of winning like hunger for winning uh and he's not shy about mixing in new talent, so much so that the average age of the squad gets younger and younger. And your good self, at the ripe old age of 24, are suddenly one of the senior players on the team. So instilling that kind of confidence and that team bond, um, it kind of falls to you as well in a certain way. So how does how does that work as a player? Um, I think, for one, just coming in recently to see the girls and be around the team again, I was like, I can't believe how young this team is. Like, obviously, we've had some unfortunate injuries, but to be able to bring in that young talent and to have them be exposed to at such a young age is obviously just going to stand to them and to us going forward in the future um, because even the younger national teams are doing incredibly well so far for us. Um, but yeah, being now a senior player as such, well, well, with my experience and stuff of playing abroad and playing in England now and, you know, I'd hope to think that some players like look up to me as a, as such as a like a role model for where they'd want to be in their careers um soon or in the near future um so yeah I just got to keep my head down and work hard and be a positive influence on her as on them as much as I can so Megan we're it being April we're one we're one year on exactly from from the stand that the Irish squad made against the FAI um and looking back now was it worth it what what has changed since in the day-to-day -day life of an Ireland player yeah, definitely. It's worth it. Um, I think we've come on leaps and bounds in the last year through our mentality alone without anything else. If you've just put our mentality of one, like knowing we're good enough and we're, you know, we should be treated this way. And um, we've got that now. And yeah, over the last year, we've done incredibly well with qualifications and stuff and even in friendly tournaments. And, um, you know, we're we're a team. We're literally a team. Um and so everyone has each other's backs and staff included um, and we're just all fighting for the same goal which is to qualify for a first major tournament and to do that with the backing of the FAI now is, is obviously great great for us. It's funny that you say that about the the impact it's had on you guys as a team and the mentality because one of the more striking uh, 
images of the day. And I suppose the thing that everybody remembers is a photo of everybody standing in uh, in Liberty Hall. And I know you weren't there, but you, you do think it brought you closer as a team then. And it was almost like a team bonding. Yeah, definitely. I think when we took that stand, it was trying to get as many players over as possible. And so when we did fly, like loads of us flew in on the day to be there. And it was just important that we were there as a team and so that everyone knew that, you know, no matter what, we're going to do this as a team. And um, thankfully it happened. It worked out in our favour. And yeah, we've just come come on leaps and bounds. And obviously you can see in the results that we've had in the last year, it's it's definitely helped us. Got some great uh, attention on kind of an international basis as well. Like when you see, um, and I suppose you, you could probably, that was probably palpable in your own club dressing room. Um, probably hugely impressed by by what you were doing and um, given the background for England and, and for US soccer in particular. Um, were you surprised by the reaction? Um, I think it was great to see the unity within the country that everyone was behind us and stuff. But um, I think it was something that I know a lot of people thought it should have happened so when it did then I think people were just like thankful that it did happen and just yeah I don't know how to put it but it was great to have that unity of the, the whole country behind you as such and wanting us to succeed and wanting us to do well and wanting us to be on par with the men um as close uh, or as close as we could be to them um but yeah it's just it was great to have that and yeah thankful for the way it went one of the things that really grinds our gears um, and it came to came to prominence around the strike is people loving a bandwagon about women's sport and, and the drive for equality in women's sport. But yet they don't support. They don't know. They've never put their bum on a seat. Um, and now we're at the start of a, a World Cup qualification for uh, the Ireland women's team. And there's some huge challenges ahead. So for people who maybe want an entry level to the bandwagon, uh, what do what sort of results do the team need in the qualifications and what's next? How can they support the team? Come out of the games. Um, I think it's always great. It's a cliche saying of the 12th man and you've seen it with Liverpool City last night and it, it goes a long way in, in countries when you have the, the fans behind you and to have that support of maybe it might be a sticky situation and it's still nil-nil or you need that extra drive and that extra push. Get out and watch the, the girls play and see for yourself firsthand how good that, how good we are as a team. And um, at the end of the day, we're playing for not only ourselves, but we're playing for the badge, which includes everybody in the country. And so to have their backing and their support behind us is obviously a great thing. And what sort of results do you guys need in the matches ahead? Um, well, obviously our focus right now is on Slovakia and getting those three points because they're going to, if we get those three points, which fingers crossed, I, I have good positives, uh, thoughts that we will. Um, just going into that game and being like defensively organised, but being attack minded and wanting to get those three points um, and score goals and not concede. You know, our main thing over this campaign is to not concede because if you don't concede, you're going to get results, um, whether we score or it ends nil nil, like it did against Holland. Um, but just wanting to, um. Just wanting to go out and get the three points against Slovakia, and then from there our focus will change to Holland. But we need to get a win first against Slovakia to then progress. Because even if if a result doesn't come our way against Holland, we're still in we're still in the top two to then bring the two games into Norway in June. If we get results in them, we've pretty much qualified. And you know, for us uh, to make it to our first ever major <laughs> tournament, 
would be incredible to be a World Cup and to be in France. Let's just go into that a bit a bit deeper, Megan, because uh, I know it's a long way away and you're taking one one game at a time. But what do you think it would mean to women's soccer, to soccer actually, let's drop the women's in Ireland for the women's team to qualify for a major tournament? Because it's, ne- it's never been done before. Yeah, I think it would be an incredible... It, it gives you an incredible stage to put women's football on a on a bigger platform to be able to see that progression over the years to make our first major tournament to see young young boys and girls going well I can do that now and it used to be just young boys going I want to play for Ireland one day and I want to play in a major tournament but to be able to have young girls going I can do that and I want to do that like to be able to have help them inspire people like to help inspire young kids to want to play for your country and just to want to play football or a sport in general to represent your country um, on one of the biggest stages is yeah something that as a player you want to obviously do for your country. We're seeing um, a good bit of that in action already is actually just today a fabulous clip online of your teammate Diane Caldwell going to visit her number one fan at a as she was actually at one of the soccer sisters camps. Yeah. Are you kind of comfortable with the the role model side of things um, and kind of going out and kind of giving back to the game in that in that regard is that something you enjoy yeah definitely I think it's great to see the smiles on kids faces and you know when some of them ask me oh what do I need to do to to improve my game I was like well as long as you're enjoying it I think that's the main thing at your age as kids you want to enjoy what you're doing you don't want to be just doing it to try and do it as a job later on in life you want to enjoy it firstly and to be able to see like I said the smiles on kids faces and just to be involved and to be around them and to give back really because I know I was given a lot through whether it be my family or the clubs that I played at throughout Ireland um, and what they did for me in my career it's definitely something that I want to do and to give back to the to the country and if it means that then I'm able to inspire one girl to come and play and and if she eventually plays for a national team then it's I've done my job. What about the bigger picture on a, on a worldwide level what would it mean for for women's soccer Um We've seen big strides made in America and in Scandinavia and even in the UK. So in your opinion, taking a a big picture look, what's next for the beautiful game? In Ireland, I think the league needs to improve still. Um, It's come a long way, but I still think it needs to continue improving because the amount of national team players that we have that are in the the homegrown league, um, I think it still needs to take more steps in order to catch up with obviously England, with it being amateur like it's quite tough on the girls because a lot of them have different jobs to then juggle and manage with then the league as well and wanting to play and perform at your best so that you're then in contention to play with the national team so there's still a lot to 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 go off and um to to improve on in the league basis i think that alone in grassroots football if that improves then the overall game will improve within ireland definitely well, the Women's National League is in full swing, so as well as encouraging you to to go out and support the national the international team in in Tala, um, in their World Cup qualifiers, like getting out and supporting your local club is just a really good way to start. It's how you get to know the players. It's how you get to know them when they come into the national team, and we just constantly urge people, urge our listeners and our followers to to get behind it. But um, for now, Megan, we just want to say big thanks for taking time out of your holidays at home and taking time out of camp to chat to us it's it's been great to talk to you and um best of luck with the with the recovery and we hope to see you back on your feet very soon thank you thanks for having me
Big thanks to Megan Campbell for taking time out of her holidays at home to join us in the Fair Game hot seat. You can follow her on Twitter at MegCam10 and Instagram on the same username at MegCam10. Follow us on Twitter too at FairGameCast. There's so much live action involving Irish sportswomen to look forward to in the coming months. And that's where we provide you with all the necessary information to keep you in the loop and hopefully get you out in the sidelines. Major thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Kinvara Skincare. And don't forget to use the offer code FAIRGAME, all one word, to do some online shopping at kinvaraskincare.com. Finally, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on, be it iTunes, Android, Stitcher or Spotify. That way you'll get the next one delivered directly to you. That's all for this episode and we'll chat to you again next month. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Find all your favorite movies and shows faster with Xfinity. Just speak into the X1 voice remote to search across live TV, on demand, even Netflix and Prime Video. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll enjoy Xfinity X1, which gives you access to your favorite streaming apps like Netflix, YouTube, and now Prime Video. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit the store today to learn more. Restrictions apply.